Hi, and welcome to episode 341 of No Crying in Baseball, the not really cross-training with football episode. My name's Patty. I'm here with my friend Potty Mouth. Potty Mouth, happy Superb Owl Day. Hey there. I was about to say, I think I know what you're talking about. We're going to watch, I think this is the f- first time I've seen any real football this um, this season. Mm, no, there's been that like happen into a bar when the game is happening and my yeah. eyes like just like magnetically go to it, but I don't remember what game it was. Yeah, I followed a couple of scores, you know, the half-hearted, hey, Baltimore's in it kind of thing, mm. uh, you know, at the last minute, and then right. disappointment and all of that. So, like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to watch a little. We're going we're gonna to do our, you know, American duty and, right. and watch some Super Bowl when we're done recording. Um, we are also going to, to drink not at all thematic beer while we're doing it. In fact, let me see if I get the, the words in the right Ooh, order. I've already forgotten. We are drinking from Atlas, local brewery, the Giant... Flaming Zombie Polar Bear Double IPA. I think that's right. They are in a similar, those words are in a similar order to that. But the important thing is it's a zombie flaming polar bear. And it's big and it's double. Yeah. And it's also very delicious. It is. And and we're splitting one because it's also got a very high ABV. So yeah. 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 But it'll get us right through, you know. The introduction through the kickoff, <laughs> yeah, our kickoff, and then we'll oh, then the kickoff. we'll oh, probably yeah. have another one at the time of actual kickoff. It I might, think. and I may just curl up and go to sleep in front of the sure. big game. I think that's safer than anything else. Sounds good. Yeah. Do you have anything exciting this week? Have you had? Um, have you been this week? I I've been fine. I've been fine. It was our intern's birthday. Mm. So happy birthday, intern! Happy birthday! Um, I don't know. Work was pretty good. I actually have another friend who had a birthday, and we went out for, for birthday drinks, and I had a very delicious Manhattan, best Ooh. one in a long time, oh, at a local good. place, and it kicked my butt. One mm. one cocktail, so I think. And then I remembered, you know, he was talking about how good the vermouth was, and so he gave me a little bit on the side to just sip the vermouth and try it. Oh, I'm like, lovely. Oh. So it was like having two cocktails. That's why. Uh-huh. A okay. cocktail and a, and a bit. But it right? was very delicious. And I had a lovely time with my friend. It was, like a, it was like a birthday week for, you know, people who are close to me who are having birthdays. That's And, and you get to celebrate. So that's, yeah. the, that's the fun part. Yeah, that was well, all cool. good. Anything fun for you? Um, I, you know, I should have been thinking about that while I was listening. <laughs> but no, I was listening to your stories. So that's why I can't think of anything. I don't think it, I think it was just kind of a normal week. I don't remember anything. Normal's good. Out of the ordinary. Normal can be can be fine. I'm looking forward to next weekend. Well, I guess we do that at the end of the show. But there's just for one less day of work, one more day of weekend. I think that that ratio yeah. is better. Me too. I'm, I'm all for that. That's the same for me. All right. We can talk baseball. Okay. On today's show, we've got some lock them down contracts, and we've got the arbitration scoreboard. We've got boyfriends for Toronto and Arizona. We've got yet more ways to watch the Red Sox. <sighs> the police blotter features fun and games with the uh, with the injured list and teachers and mayors ganging up on John Fisher and the A's. And international baseball featuring the winter ball wrap up and Olympics 2028. Cheers. Man, I will cheers to that. That is a lot of fun stuff. A lot of fun sounding stuff. And I got to to admire your beautiful World Baseball Classic t-shirt, which was a very smart purchase from when we were there. I'm very happy with it. And it's thematic when we get to our guys later on. Yay. All right. I'm behind the times. Uh, we missed. Well, we didn't miss. We, didn't we, miss. we It just happened a couple of days ago. Uh, 
Girls and Women's in Sports Day is February 7th, and I now have it on my calendar because I usually, you know, open up all the social medias and see it and go, oh, yeah, that's today. I now have it on the calendar so we can be prepared in advance next year. I didn't realize it's been going on since 1987. I mean, I've only heard about it the past few years, and it was originally created in honor and actually in memory of Flo Hyman, who was an Olympic volleyball player who died um, prematurely from a, a, a not neurodegenerative a connect, connection tissue disease. And I'm trying to remember the name of it, but next time I'll take better notes. Um, but it just kind of struck me that it had been around a long time and it had a solid reason for start, but has grown so much since then. And it was really nice to see Baseball for All's uh, Instagram thing because they featured a lot of women who work in baseball saying, nice. you know, happy day. So... It's all coming coming to fruition. I like it. We've had a couple of guys sign some contract extensions, lock people down for the foreseeable future or for possibly a whole career, mm-hmm. possibly in both cases. Oh, wow. Yeah, so this is, this is kind of exciting. So Bobby Witt Jr., who was my Royals guy from last year, who was the first player in Royals history with 30 homers and 30 steals in a season, he's good at baseball. Mm-hmm. He's very good at baseball. Just signed. An 11-year, $288.8 million contract. So, yay. Yeah. And there's a wow. couple of really important things about this, other than just the con- the contract amount, which is ginormous. Yeah. One of those things is it buys the Royals a lot of rebuilding time. It locks down mm-hmm. this guy who they want to have as their centerpiece for the future, for, for the foreseeable yeah. future. He has opt- opt-outs after... Um, seven, eight, nine, and 10 years. If he sticks with the Royals all that time, there's a club option after the 11th season to add three more years to make it a 14-year, $377 million total. It is the second largest contract awarded for a pre-arbitration eligible player right he hasn't he hasn't been playing long enough to be to be ready to negotiate his you know his salary during arbitration. He's behind Fernando Tatis Jr. In the total amount, but his annual value, because it's for a shorter amount of time, right. exceeds it by like $2 million. Wow. So depending crazy. on how you choose to look at the math, yeah. it's either the largest or the second largest. And I saw this line in one of the stories that I read and made me think of you. <laughs> the line said, so it's safe to buy that Bobby Witt Jr. jersey. <laughs> right. Unless, I mean, I guess they could trade him, right? But. No, they wouldn't do that. No. It, it makes me think of I'm I'm happy that there's another solid royal after George Brett. He's like the name that I always remember for Immaculate Grid stuff. But now we'll have another royal lifer. Like, yeah, a royal lifer. And another maybe not so regal lifer is uh, Jose Altuve, who is synonymous with the Astros and will continue to be. I had actually picked him for a baseball boyfriend. I went back to episode 20 when I did it, and I had a lot of gushing things to say about Mm -hmm. him, which there are. You know, there's just this one blip of that World Series. But the Astros have now locked him down for another five years brings him through age 39 for $125 million. He would have been a free agent next year, but I kind of figure, like, you know, so lock him down now before he hits free agency. What other team could have taken Jose Altuve, with, with, especially with the kind of investment that would be necessary for him? Like, what fan base would permit that, permit him joining their team? I think it, it's hard to think of one. 
it's tough, but then we've got fan bases that seem to be marginally accepting of people who have committed crimes that are crimes against people as opposed to crimes against the game yeah. of baseball. Yeah, I, although there's, I guess there's still some that have like crossed that line. Like, I don't know if you've seen Trevor Bauer's recent PR stuff that he's willing to play for the league minimum next year. And then even worse, and I'm sorry about this tangent, but this so pissed, pissed me off. Jonathan Papelbon, who's been like this Ugh. swing of a love-hate relationship, mm. came out and said he would fucking pay it. Like, have it because he believes that he should be pitching. Oh, so no. fuck that. And if the Red Sox listen to him, my brain is going to explode. So anyway, there's much worse things than taking Jose Altuve. I just figure like, I I don't know. I feel like fan bases have just reacted really They've viscerally. They've all booed him. Every single yeah. fan base has booed him at his at-bats. Yeah. And then the trick is, okay, now if he then becomes your guy, does right. that switch flip in your head? And all of a sudden, well, it's okay now. Or, or does everybody just freak out at the signing? Anyway, I guess we'll never have to worry about whether it's right. going to happen because he is going to be there. And another one to put in your back pocket for Immaculate Grid. He's, he was signed by Houston in 2006 at age 16. So this deal makes him the first second baseman in MLB history to have a $300 million career. So uh, he doesn't really give a shit if you're booing him because he's going to be <laughs> laughing all the way to exactly. the bank. Yeah, so I think in both those, the, the Altuve case and the Bobby Witt Jr. case, those are, we're staying with this team for mm-hmm. our entire career. We yep. are retiring with the team. And that's what fans love because yeah. you can get a fucking jersey. Yes. Hey, so I, I alluded to arbitration a moment ago. We are at that stage where the um, where the arbitration hearings are happening. These are for those cases where teams and players were unable to agree upon a salary amount. Mm-hmm. So those two amounts, the amount that the player has asked for and the amount that the team has offered are both offered up to a panel, a, a three-person panel, who then hears arguments on both sides where the team says, hey, we love you, but you're not worth that much. Yeah, and the player shitty. says, yeah, I am, and here's why. And this this independent board of three people who have, have been named like, when they announced the um how the arbitration turned out the, the panel consisted of oh wow and listed the three names i don't remember happening before it may have Oof. and i'm just noticing i don't know i'm just going to mention a couple of past boyfriends who had things happen uh nick gordon who was my twins boyfriend last year lost his arbitration to the twins he asked for 1.25 million dollars the twins are giving him nine hundred thousand dollars that's a pretty big difference mm. and then your, your your giant's boyfriend from 21 mauricio dubon uh, one over Houston. He Yay. asked for three point five million. Um, Houston said no, just three million. He got the three point five. Good. But the big one is Vladdy Vladimir Guerrero Jr., sure. who has a record-setting nineteen point nine million dollar arbitration win. This is over Toronto, who offered eighteen point oh five million dollars. That's a big one. And what the fuck were they thinking? Like, really, they want to be on the books as having not, you know, valued him enough when he's the star player and he wants to be there? I think that's shitty for Toronto. No? Well, apparently that's what the the arbitration board thought, too. Yep. Yep, for sure. And what I really love is the past couple years, people have been, like, keeping count on the scoreboard who's winning these, the players or the ownership. And last year, the owners won by a bunch. Really? Um, this year, so far, so there's 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 more next week. There are more hearings to come. Okay. There's six more scheduled for next week. But in the ones that have been heard, players are leading in decisions with seven wins versus three wins for for team ownership. Wow. 
thus far. So we will see how next week turns out. But that's kind of a, an interesting turn of events, and I do not know why. In other news, Corey Kluber is retiring. Uh, he's, uh, after 13 seasons in the major leagues, he's a two-time Cy Young winner, both for Cleveland in 2014 and 2017. Uh, he, with, so Cleveland was like his heyday. So he was oh, there for yeah. a very long, a very long time. And then very quickly ran through Texas, Yankees, Tampa Bay, and Boston. He had a no-hitter for the Yankees versus Texas in there. But that, those were all very quick hits, right? Mm-hmm. But he was with Cleveland for a very long time. And one of the the quirkiest, most wonderful things about his career there is um, he matched Bob Feller's franchise record with 18 strikeouts wow. in a nine-inning game. But the day he did it was the day that the Cleveland team opened a Bob Feller exhibit in the stadium. So Bob Feller's widow was there. Oh, my The day God. that he tied that franchise record, which I think is very cool. Wow. Which is very cool. So he, he's, you know, of course, did the, the very heartfelt, you know, thanks for this gift of being able to play in the major leagues for 13 years. So good luck to your to you and your sure. future, Corey Kluber. I hope you do wonderful things in, in your years to come. Yeah, it's 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 very sad for, for Red Sox fans. It was a very shitty year for him last year. And it's kind of like as how I'm seeing at least the Mets fans I know are looking toward Max Scherzer because Mets fans do not speak highly of Max Scherzer. And I'm like, oh, but that's love our you. Max. Yes. Right? We love you. And Corey Kluber, it's the same and thing. I have this heartfelt right. Cleveland love for Corey Kluber. And then. And then Boston fans just damn yeah. him for sure. It was a rough. It was. Just, it, but it's not his fault. It was the fucking decision that they made, which was a poor one. All right. We're going to talk about baseball boyfriends. You have consumed a lot of flaming polar bears. <laughs> my flaming, my flame is out. My flame has been extinguished. All right, let me catch up, and then I will fill right. you up. Well, probably while you're talking about your Toronto guy. Yeah. So we're doing baseball boyfriends. So that's stuff to talk about. The guys that we pick in the off season because there's something cool about them. We've been doing one guy per team, working up from the worst record, and we are getting closer and closer to some really special teams. And here we are with the Toronto Blue Jays this week. And I can't believe that I hadn't picked Kevin Kiermaier before. Because he was such a stellar player on the Rays. I guess there were just like a lot of Rays for us to choose from somehow. Uh, He's center fielder, 33 years old. I'm feeling like he's an elder statesman in the baseball boyfriends of this year. Because since we can't repeat. Yeah, yeah, because we have so many young guys because we can't repeat these guys. So 33 years old. And it's, it's ironic that he's on the Blue Jays now. So he'd been on the Rays for a very long time. And uh, on, in 2021, his last year with the Rays, he, they were playing against the Blue Jays. And something happened at home. I, I don't remember if he was coming home after, after running the bases or if he just had struck out or gotten out. But he was going back to the dugout and he saw a card on the ground. And so he picked it up thinking it was his outfielder card for like what to do. Put it in his pocket, went to the dugout, got to the dugout, realized it wasn't his card. Gave it to somebody else, and that card got whisked off. Anyway, this is the Kiermaier story, and since he's my baseball boyfriend, I'm telling his angle of the story. <laughs> what what the Blue Jays said was that he saw Alejandro's Kirk Kirk's catcher's card, took it, and ran away with it back to the dugout. So it depends on your perspective on the situation. I find his very believable, and to um to 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 you know follow up on it, he was mightily plunked in his next at bat by the Blue Jays pitcher, which is, you know, not the way to settle things, really. They could have just sat down and hashed it out. So he also, when he was a Ray, so he no fan of Blue Jays fans at this, no fan, no um, 
no, you know, target of Blue Jays fans at this point for anything good. He also had more hits against Toronto than against any other team when he was a Ray. And then he got a one-year, $9 million deal in 2023 after his 10 years with the Rays. So he's got a pivot at this point, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. Like he, This is exactly like following through on your concept in part A of tonight's episode. <laughs> he... he um, <laughs> He had to pivot, you know? This is the fan base that pretty much hated him. And he said, for me it was, hey, I might be one of those guys you hated as an opponent, but you'll love having me. I've never been one to portray myself as a villain. I like spreading positivity. And when I saw that, I was like, this is my guy. To be able to take it from there, spin around and say, I'm going to make this work. And also, if the fans are thinking logically, how better to right. stop the guy who hits like crazy against you than to have him on your team and <laughs> yes. hit for you? I mean, that's a beautiful strategy right there. That totally makes sense. Um, he he had a really good running with the Rays until that last year that he was with him when he went on the IL. It was 2022 for hip surgery. While he was gone was the trade deadline, and the Rays picked up Jose Siri, I think it was from from Astros, um, who did pretty well, who's a good player. And so there was pretty much no room left for for Kiermaier when he came back. Hey, you did that pretty well. Patty just drained her polar bear. So we're moving on to something Polar bear no longer has bloat. Yep. (laughs) All right. So no room for Kiermaier in the Rays outfield, and, you know, Toronto finds him and gets him for for that one-year deal and then did well. So 23 actually was a remarkable year comparatively to his, like, couple previous, but I guess, you know, the injury. Um, So they pick him up, and and he ends up continuing to do well. Originally, he's—so I'm going back in the Wayback Machine before I go more to his successes. He's from Fort Wayne, Indiana. Was a a good player in high school, but didn't get the attention of the scouts until the very end of the season. He finally got an offer from Parkland Junior College and so went there with the attitude that he would, you know, play there for a couple years, turn it around and um, was applying to continue at Purdue. And then his coach connected with one of the Rays scouts who said, you know, check him out. And he felt like, all right, you've got this. You know, I made the connection. I talked to the scout. He's very interested. You're going to be going in the top, I think, the, the first day of the draft for, for or the second day. <laughs> so he actually got his friends together for a um, party on the second day of the draft uh-huh. and didn't get picked. Oh, ouch. Yeah. Ouch. And so he got picked mm. in the 31st round and still decided to go with it instead of going to Purdue, where he did have an option. 941st overall um, selection. And he said to himself, and this is another, like, you know, you take the the lemons and make some sort of lemonade, uh, you know, throw I in a shot of vodka. Limoncello, exactly, exactly, limoncello. He said, I was a 31st rounder and I knew I was a lot better than that and wanted to prove it as soon as possible. Right. So 2010, he gets signed by the Rays, spends a couple years in the minors, and then 13 was the real breakout year when he made it into AAA. And they debuted him on the day after, well, the last day of the regular season, but it was game 163, 
which makes no sense because we all know there are 162 uh, games in the the regular season. It was a wild card tiebreaker game. Ah, They brought him in as a defensive replacement in the ninth inning. So like how much more last minute can you debut in a season than the ninth minute defense, ninth inning defense? Of, of a wild card tiebreaker game. They won, and he got to play two innings in the actual wild card game against Cleveland. So went on to do great things. 2015 was his first year of his gold glove, where he also got the platinum glove, and, and I wasn't on top of voting then. Otherwise, I'm sure I would have voted for him. Of course you would. Yeah. He also got the gold glove in 16, 19, and then, here's what I was talking about before, 23. So he had this big resurgence with the uh, Blue Jays. What sealed the deal for me is I totally remember you and I talking about that Rays Pride Night in 2022, Oy. where there were several players who said because of their relief pitchers, yes, they were they were exactly. it was the bullpen, yep, and because of their faith that they were not going to be wearing the Pride stuff on the uniform, and that you know started a whole snowball through MLB. However. Kevin Kiermeyer did wear it and only wore it, but he was the most outspoken player about it. He said, we just want everyone to feel welcomed and included and cheer us on, no matter what your views on anything are. So that's I think that's a little bit of a dig toward his um, colleagues there. But damn it, you know, I'm glad he stood for the, the only right ground that there is. And he goes beyond that. So there's a, other, a couple of other like giving back things he does. He did uh, charity work when he was in... Uh, Tampa with his wife and was connected to the Children's Dream Fund in Florida, which is what um, gives those, you know, wishes to kids who are life-threatening illnesses, you know, kids who are, who are very, very ill. And he he and his wife paid for the dreams of six kids to be fulfilled at the tune of $25,000. While he was there, he also spent time in his off-season coaching for the University of Tampa. And during that time, they made the NCAA tournament. Oh, so many letters, so little beer. For the twentieth, <laughs> so for for twenty years in a row, they made the tournament, including the nine years where he was coaching. Oh, luckily, I'm almost done. Um, and in 2022, it was down to the last minute in a tie game, and they credit a play that he taught them. They they made it to the tournament thanks to Kevin Kiermaier. Uh, his character is noted. He's a leader in the clubhouse from addressing his teammates when needed to heading up the post-game dance party celebrations for each win to being readily available to the media in good times and bad. And that's from the local Tampa uh, newspaper, which, you know, it's the kind of spirit that I look for. He has a lovely wife and a couple of kids and his wife uh, played volleyball, track and field in college and their kids. So he's KK, right? Kevin Kiermaier. His kids are Carter and Crew, but they're both spelled with a K, which, you know, kind of bothers my English teacher heart. But I want to take points off, but Mm -hmm. you have given him so many points that I think he still ends up way in the positive column, even if I don't care for that whole K K situation. It's a little weird. All right. Thanks. I worked up a thirst. Thank you for pouring this beer. Yeah. So now we're we're, we're taking Black Wing. Is that right? Yeah. Black Wing from Union Brewing, which is in Baltimore or Baltimore-ish. There we go. All right. So um, I picked a kid because we can either pick kids or, you know, veterans because we picked everybody in the middle so far. Right. For the Blue Jays, I've picked Davis Schneider, who is listed as second base, but he's also a lot of left field, a lot of third base. So we'll see what Yahoo lets me do with him. And he's 25 years old. 
He grew up in New Jersey, big Philadelphia sports fan. He's got like um, Sixers stuff and he's got, you know, Eagles stuff on his social media, which I think is pretty brave of him considering, you know, <laughs> that's not yeah. where he is anymore. He During high school, he played for a summer team called the Dirt Bags. The Dirt Bags, which wow. sounds very Jersey, doesn't it? Yeah, I would love to see the logo. That well, that's does, it. Oh my whole question so is, I need to find some swag. Merch. merch. I want the merch. Yeah. I want the merch. So while he was playing with the Dirt Bags, the scouts were coming to see him, mm-hmm. and he was told by them that he just needs a really good final high school season and will absolutely get drafted. So he did. He had one. He hit 444. He set Oof. his high school's um, season record for doubles and his high school's career record for hits and still didn't get drafted until the 28th round in 2017 by Toronto. And so you brought up the whole draft party thing. You yeah. know, like the guys who get drafted high or are, are led to believe something, you see like, you know, videos of them with their family and getting the call and everybody cheering and all that. Yeah. And here you've got this guy who's like, he didn't believe he was even necessarily going to get drafted. Oh, wow. So he found out by checking social media, like in his car on the way home from watching like a tournament baseball, like a high school tournament game. That's hysterical. And it's like, oh, and then he got the call, like, you know, in his car. Wow. So it was like, that's the difference between the 28th round and, you know, the top two rounds, yep. for instance. He did choose going with Toronto, even though he was drafted that low, like you were talking about, um, uh, instead of going to Rutgers, which was his initial plan. Wow. He had a very, very slow slog through the minors, including 2020, when there were no, right. was no minor league season. That was also the year that his brother passed away. Oh, my Super God. young. And there's no information. They're being very private about what it was. I mean, Oof. it was during a COVID year. That doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Um, but a lot of his Instagram posts up to that point were all of him and his siblings. Oh. And all this very, like, family-centric things. So you know this hit him very hard. Because everything was, oh, you know, here I'm with my siblings. They're my best friends. And, mm-hmm. you know, here I'm with my brother. And, oh. and it was, yeah. And then there was a very heartfelt message from him after his brother passed away about how hard the loss was. And again, super slow slog through the minors. So he's he's struggling Mm -hmm. with his game. He's not getting anywhere. And then he has this whole personal loss. And the next season, in fact, he thought about quitting. He was still in single A. Um, He was actually considering, okay, if I leave, what do I do? And his options were, I might want to be a firefighter or I might want (laughs) to teach high school history. Oh, so like okay, Those are great. you got your options open. Honestly, God, he didn't get to Double A until his sixth season in the minor leagues, mm. right? And we're often wow. talking about these guys who yeah. barrel through, like you know, you know, six games here, half a season there, right. quick season there, and then you're up, right? Not for him. It was a long, long slog, and then, and then, he became miraculous, right? He got his call up this past August, August fourth. 2023. Apparently, it was because huh. the um, Blue, Jays, Blue Jays had just lost a series to the O's badly, where the O's oh. knocked him out like three to one, and it was it was it was embarrassingly bad. And they needed more offense, so they called this kid up who has a bat. Let's see what he can do. So they're playing Boston. They're at Fenway. James Paxton is pitching. He had actually hit against James Paxton when Paxton was doing rehab in AAA, which 
was interesting because I only found that in one of the articles that talked about this, where everything else was like, this is his first at-bat in his debut. This is miraculous because he homered in that first at-bat, made it to the back row of the Green Monster seats. Wow. It was spectacular. It was spectacular. It was one of five home runs hit that day by Toronto when they went over Boston. He said, I was smiling the whole way around the bases into the dugout. Alec Manoa was the starter that day for Toronto. And he said, I'm going to tell my kids about that forever. Wow. Because what a moment. What a moment for this kid. That made um, Davis the fourth player in Toronto history to to homer in his first at bat. By the end of that three-game series, I apologize to you, my, 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 my dear Red Sox fan. By the end of that three-game series, he had a second home run over the monster. Excellent. He totaled nine hits. He became the first player in MLB history to collect nine hits and two homers in his first three you know, games. I remember that series as like ceiling. It was like the downfall of the Red Sox. It was like when there was no more hope. And it was the big thing for, for David yeah. Schneider. In fact, in, in his first 20 games... He had the highest OPS across the league in, in, in the players' first 20 career games, minimum 70 play appearance, 1.358. Holy shit. And then even at, at 25 games, it was 1.315. So it was still like the top ever, like the second. And both those categories is so far below huh. that. It's like he had this little magic thing happening. And part of the magic, I think, is he's got this special thing there is some magic involved with this kid, right? The okay. glove that he plays with, he found it in a lost and found. In the off season, there's this training facility where he trains, but he also teaches. Yeah, okay. he's an instructor at this, and he'd been watching this glove that had sat in the the lost and found for a year and a half. But it was actually a facility. Like when you first said lost and found, I was picturing Value Village. I was like, yeah, thinking, no, 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 like, no, seriously, like lost wow. and found. Like, so, right. okay, so this was probably in New Jersey, out near Philadelphia, right? So to keep this okay. in mind, right? So he said this glove sat there for a year and a half. No one got it. It looked cool. It looked old. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to use it for now. Right. So in marker, like Sharpie or something, it had VUK written on it (laughs) near the logo. So there was a major league baseball player, John Vuk, V-U-K, Vukovic, who played 10 seasons in Major League Baseball from 1970 to 81, then played 20 years. He was a big league coach, mostly with the Phillies near, okay, Philadelphia, All New right. Jersey, like a neighborhood, right? Well, so Vukovic's son, Vince, saw a picture of this rookie with Toronto wearing this glove and saw the VUK and recognized it. And so he jokingly, oh no, he jokingly texted his old his his old college roommate saying, "I want my glove back." Yeah, his <laughs> old college roommate is John Schneider, the manager. Of the Toronto Blue Jays. Oh, my God. So what happened here is this rookie is playing with his manager's friend's late father's glove. That's bizarre. They also share a last name. John Schneider's family is also from Jersey. They are not related in any way, although John's brother, Kevin, played travel ball, apparently, with Davis. They have all these weird, random connections, but they are not at all related. After you get past all of this, I have to say just two more things about Davis. He's got a horrible Top Gun mustache. Can't oh. stand it. But it, it means he gets picked out in crowds. People know who he is. So all there's right. that. But it's awful. And he's got a good dog named Jasper. Wow. So there you go. Davis Schneider is my guy for the Toronto Blue Jays. So I take it he's going to keep playing with the glove. Like he gets to keep, I, him, I, keep playing with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. No one's taking the glove away from That's him. That's amazing. Yeah. That is the coolest yeah. thing. Yeah. I thought you'd like all that. All right. You know, it's, it's fate. Absolutely. 
All right, so we're going to the National League with Arizona, the D-backs, the World Series runner-uppers. Um, and this was a good thing for me this week because I remember when we were watching the World Series and we each picked our D-backs guys on the spot. And I'm super, I was super excited to see how cool Gabriel Moreno really is. It was a definite spur-of-the-moment pick, and it, you know you had to go through that first line of uh, Googling the name plus the word scandal Scandals. and seeing what happens. <laughs> so actually, about that, so I had done that for Kiermaier, which is how I found out about the card thing. So I did that for Gabriel Moreno, and I realized that when you do that, you must include the world word baseball because, oh, my God, there are some Gabriel Morenos in this world who have done some terrible, terrible things. Terrible that this one. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, really bad. So um, luckily, I, I fixed that. He is currently briefly 22 years old. He's going to be 23 on Valentine's Day. So he's our sweetie this week. He came over to the D-backs as part of a a mutually beneficial trade with Toronto, who we were just talking about, with Lourdes Gurriel, who is a former Toronto boyfriend of mine, for Dalton Varsho. And this was one of those trades that at, at the surface was looking super, super fair. So Darsha was definitely the, the most solid trade piece that Arizona had, and it was a two-for-one. They were getting Lourdes Gurriel, who was solid, but you know not at the same level as far as outfield, and they threw in Gabriel Moreno, who was a rookie. And it turned out to be, you know, and, and the irony at the time, too, was that Toronto said that they were doing this, you know, giving a little bit more away because they were making a push that year. And they needed that Varsho piece, Varsho piece, I know I feel like I'm I'm, uh, lisping, to get a World Series caliber team when in fact, the two two guys that they sent over were key in the D-backs, like out of nowhere, nobody expected run for the World Series. So Toronto already had enough catchers with Danny Jensen and Alejandro Kirk. And this is the other thing, like I I wish I could remember if I had cited the article that I saw about a Toronto um, coach basically saying, you know, we wouldn't sub in a rookie for this because catching position above all takes so much experience and knowledge. And if you're going to make it to the playoffs, we're going to handle these two veterans as opposed to risk it for a rookie. And look what happened. It seems so reasonable, though. I mean, I could see why they would think that because I'm sure the statistics pan out in most cases. That's probably all true. And here we go. Here we go. Serendipity. So he was actually going to be a backup catcher for Carson Kelly, who... Uh, fractured his arm in spring training. Yeah. So before Gabby, Gabby, I'm, we're, we're on first name basis. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. He had only played 25 games in 2022. Now, granted, he his average was 319 with a 733 OPS during those those 25 games, but that's not a lot. His 62 at AAA were 315 average, 806 OPS. So you can see there's there's a spark to him, but still, it's not a lot of experience. After Kelly fracturing his arm in spring training, he started 70% of the games, which is a crazy percentage for a catcher. And then after um, after the mid-June started splitting it, he spent some time on the IL in his own in the end of July. But when he came back mid-August... Kelly was DFA'd to keep Gabriel Moreno there. Originally from Barquisimeto, Venezuela, which is near and dear to me because that is the home of the Cardinales de Lara, the Venezuelan LVB, 
LVBP team that I support. And if you, you know, go back to our past episodes where we've talked about the political economic situation in Venezuela, the year 2000 was not a good one. His dad was working hard in construction. They didn't have a lot of money, Venezuela economy. He was playing baseball when he was young, but he had to quit at age eight or nine because it was too expensive and soccer was cheaper because you don't need a lot of equipment to play soccer. So he actually said about his dad, he couldn't find much money. And when he did, it was for food, not for baseball. So uh, the president of a local baseball, this is like teeny, you know, teeny guy, president of a local baseball school, noticed him being good at age eight or nine, noticed him not playing anymore, and then brought him back in, sort of like took him under his wing at age 11. And he still talks about it like his second dad. And he talks about um, Gabriel as his third son. And in that one year, got him noticed and he joined an academy at age 12. So when you're in the academy, you know, there's, there's even at very young age, ages, there's scouts, there's eyes on you. But the eyes always come down for like the, the sparkly guys, right? The headliners. And so mm-hmm. the scouts are coming down to see the sparkly guys. And Gabriel Moreno was not one of them, but he purposefully put himself in the situation. So whenever the scouts were coming down, he noticed what was going on and he made himself seen next to the sparkly guys. And he was actually a shortstop at the time. So Blue Jays scout had come down to see a different guy, noticed Gabriel Moreno, and then came back unannounced to check on him to see like, because clearly he's making a show because he's trying to be noticed next to the guy who they're looking at. And he said, He always competed regardless of the setting, regardless of who was around, regardless of who he felt was watching. And he noticed him doing things like cleaning up the field, helping to bring in balls from from batting practice to the pitcher, things that he never saw other players do. And this is while he didn't know he was being watched. So they signed him in 2016 for $25,000. You know, not a big investment for a team for sure. And he quickly made a connection with the Venezuelan um, Jays bullpen catcher, Luis Hurtado, who also had coached and played for the Cardinales de Lara from his home team and just asked him a lot of questions. And Hurtado actually said it's the only player that has ever reached out to him for, via direct message, sent him videos with questions. Wow. And, and just had that bond, especially when he was first in the Blue Jays system. He also played for my Venezuelan team, the Cardenas de Lara, in 2020-2021 while he was in the minor system with the Jays. Did super well, 326 average, 869 OPS, but stayed sort of um, humble because he knew he was the, the young guy among all these players that he really admired. He was the DH in 21, but he still went early for catcher drills and He was just happy to be in his hometown, and he said he was happy to play in his city and that his family could see him, and he knew that his family was was really important. Also, potty mouth points, he worked very hard to learn English from the start, understanding the role as the catcher. So they moved him over to catcher. That was part of um, right when the scout was looking at him, said, can we try you out as catcher? And he took it on, even though he hadn't done it before. He adapted very fast understood that communication was part of this job and so started working on his English and actually looked at Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright, who had had that that close bond for so many years. He's still making league minimum, right? He was a rookie last year. He's still sending money to his family, told his dad no more working long hours in construction, 
and had a new house built for his family, but in the same neighborhood because they didn't want to leave. So they have those kind of connections. You might have heard that the D-backs did well last year. Pretty good. They did pretty well. So Hmm. he was the fourth Major League Baseball catcher with four home runs in the playoffs and the youngest MLB catcher to have four home runs in the playoffs, which was remarkable because he had seven home runs in the whole season. He also saved runs for his team. He was number one as a rookie catcher, number one in caught stealing, 48% caught stealing rate, and number five in blocks above average, and the first catcher from the D-backs to get a Golden Glove as a rookie. He is the 10th youngest catcher to get a Golden Glove. And his QHAR. So his quality hair above replacement, trademark Ollie, is stellar. His first off-season look was a bright green. And then it's not clear if he did this on purpose or not, but it sort of uh, correlates when Baby Pina, Lourdes Gordiel, re-signed. He dyed his hair purple, just like Baby Pina. The latest post I've seen is back to um, brown, but, you know, we'll see what happens. So my big question is, D-backs, are you going to pay this guy? He's clearly right. worth a lot. He's making league minimum. Corbin Carroll just got an eight-year, $111 million deal. And it seems to me it would be a good time to, um, you know, keep things pretty solid with a couple of players. So That would seem all right. Yeah. You might have another one. Yeah, for sure. So when we were paying attention to the World Series, there were a lot of these young guys that we liked. And the guy that caught my eye was Alec Thomas, the um, center fielder, who is 23. So I, I claimed him right away. Mm-hmm. Said, I want him. He's going to be my guy next year. He was actually born in Tucson. And then his family moved to Chicago in middle school because his dad had a job with the White Sox for many years. I don't know if he's still doing it. Was the um, strength and conditioning coach and then was like the department head cool. for strength and conditioning with the White Sox, which made Alec one of those kids who grew up in the clubhouse. We talked about actually weirdly like with the the Blue Jays because there's all those like, you know, Blue Jays that are the kids of other major league players and the advantage they had about like growing up with a parent who was playing major league baseball. It turns out it wasn't that different from Alec, even though his dad, his dad was in minor leagues for a little while, didn't really, you know, didn't pan out for him. And then he moved into this other job, which kept him in major league baseball. And Alec was in the White Sox clubhouse a lot. And he said, I learned from Jim Tomei and Adam Eaton. And he said, Todd Frazier told me to be the same guy when you're 0 for 40 versus when you're 20 for 40. I mean, he has these little nuggets that he just picked up because he was hanging out with these Hall of Famers and, you know, super, you know, good major league players. Just osmosis. You're just being around it. So you're learning so much about how to behave, how to work hard, what being in the major leagues looks like. He said that the thing that really sold him on baseball was when he was in eighth grade. He went with his dad to spring training and he said, I realized it. I love that feeling with baseball that you get to go play, get to go out there every day and play. Mm -hmm. You get to play the game, then you start up again the next day. Right. And that's one of the things we've always said about the guys that we select from each team is we, we like that they have a good time playing baseball. They know they're playing a game and they love playing the game. Right. His dad has a World Series ring from the 2005 White Sox. Alec actually tells a story about being in the celebration for the World Series, and one of the players was like about to like spray champagne on him. I realized, oh, wait, no, you're five. <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to happen. But his dad wore his World Series ring for good luck during the 2023 World Series, which unfortunately didn't pan out. 
all the way, but I thought the, the feeling was right. The intention so was good. Yeah. But despite the fact that he was totally sold on baseball, he was still a three-sport guy in high school, baseball, basketball, good. and football at Chicago's Mount Carmel High School. And then Texas Christian College offered him scholarships for both football and baseball. So that's pretty good. And then he said, no thanks, because 2018, the Diamondbacks drafted him in the second round out of high school. He's like, yeah, I'm going to go play baseball for the, the Snakes. He played two Futures games. That's kind of unusual. In 2019, he just kind of like he subbed in. He, did, he pinch hit or pinch ran or something just very briefly. He actually started the 2021 game. He didn't um, debut until 2022 where he actually bounced up and down quite a bit with AAA, the Reno Aces. Last year, he was invited to play for Mexico in the World Baseball Classic. And it's very weird because the things that I've read don't say his mother is Mexican. They say, and I quote, his mother has roots in Sonora. Huh. Has roots in. I saw it multiple times his mother has roots in Sonora. I don't know what that means. I mean, this kid grew up in Chicago. I mean, he has this relationship hmm. with Mexico that's a little bit farther away. And he's, he said, okay, I would love to play for Team USA one day. Hmm. He yeah. Initially, he said this. He said, the USA team is stacked. Yeah, You've got to be amazing to play on that team. Yep. But I think I'd rather play for Mexico and represent this part of my culture and my family. I think I'm going to stick with the Mexican team for sure. It seems pretty hmm. fun over here. Yeah. And it's different. You play in the United States your whole life, and you never really get a chance to express this part of yourself. So that, I think, is pretty cool. So that's what I'm doing right now. So if you remember, the Team Mexico, their group played in Arizona. Yep. And because of that, they had a huge uh, majority yeah. of Mexican fans in the stands all the time. So that was super fun, too. And that allowed his family from Mexico to come up and watch him on that occasion, too. So it was, they said it was just it was a good family time as well as a chance to kind of, you know, spend a little you know, headspace in this, you know, other part of the culture of his family. Even after like all that excitement, he still spent a month early in last season back in AAA. He needed to work on hitting versus lefty. So he, he wasn't like back up right away. This wasn't, okay, now you're up. Now you're here forever. He had to work for it. And then he came back up. He was doing just fine. He was doing great. He was doing great. But as it reached the postseason, he was actually benched for a couple of games mm. earlier in the postseason because he was slumping a little bit and you have to be careful. And then this thing happened. He was... In game four versus Philadelphia in the NLCS, he came in to pinch hit. And after having sat for a couple of games, he had a home run into the pool at Chase, <laughs> which tied the game Wow! that they then went on to win, which put them, you know, two games closer to the World Series. Like this was kind of like a turning point. Mm -hmm. It was a turning point for Arizona right there. The next game, solo home run in game five. He had set initially the franchise record for postseason home runs with four, which then apparently Gabriela Moreno then <laughs> matched, right? Yeah. And at the same time, like Corbin Carroll had two, Perdomo had, and so there were, I guess, 12 home runs, which tied a major league record set in 2015 by the Cubs for the most home runs in a postseason by players 23 years old or younger. Wow. Because they had all these guys, all of these young guys who are the future of this team whose bats got hot at the right time. Wow. They all got hot at the right time. He was a Gold Glove finalist that year. And what he said was, you know, I set high standards. If you don't, you're selling yourself short. 
aim for the clouds. So pretty excited about Alec Thomas being my guy for the snakes this year. Next week, we're going to talk about Texas and Philadelphia. So it's just it's fascinating at how well the D-backs did last year of nobody expecting anything. You know that that's yep. you know, and and that there are these young guys that they could keep going for the future. So I'm I'm sort of hoping that that kind of reflects on the Netflix decision to do a docu series on the Red Sox for 2024 because everybody's saying <laughs> what the fuck? I mean, mm-hmm. why is this happening? Because this team is not projected to do well. But I'm feeling like you know, with the inspiration of the D-backs maybe there's some hope. I mean, my, my first reaction is this a comedy, tragedy, or thriller. I mean, you could say the inspiration of the Orioles, but I could see why you have a whole yeah. ALE, so I don't want to think about that. Well, they, yeah. Well, we had just talked about the D-backs, so that was on my yeah. mind. But, but both of those, I mean, it could happen. I don't know. So Netflix is doing a documentary. They're going to be following them around all season, and then we'll see the um, the end of it. Might be because it's a big market. Who the fuck knows? But they're all on board. Cora's on board. Uh, Trevor Story is super on board. Assistant manager Raquel Ferreira got the players to buy in. And they're going to be kicking it off with the Red Sox who start their season against the World Series champions at Globe Life on March 25th. And speaking of the Orioles, they actually spend start their uh, spring training experience against the Orioles on February 24th. No one's getting paid extra for this. This is just for the fun of it and, um, you know, I don't know, posterity. They're also going to be doing a retrospective uh, docu-series on the 04, the actually proven good team, and because it's their 20th anniversary. So maybe this will all come around full circle, but I don't know. I mean, honestly, I think drama makes better TV. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, if it's like, we're expected to win. Right. If to make a good TV, you have to hope things go poorly. So yeah. that there's a twist, right? Yeah. As opposed to, look how great everything is. But this, you get to root for underdogs, and that's always fun. Right. And it could be just <laughs> completely comical. And But there's the other thing that you need is good personalities. And I yeah. feel like like Tristan Casas is a I think you're, yeah, big I think that's personality. Gonna that's going to work. We'll see what happens. Yes. Police blotter. We have actual crimes. Uh, Billy Epler, Ooh. the former general manager of the Mets, who resigned at the end of the last season, is now suspended for all of 2024. Oh yes, he doesn't currently have a job, but he also can't get one. He can't be hired by another team in MLB until after the 2024 World Series. You may remember we talked before about he was being accused of, quote, improper use of the IL, and no one ever explained what that meant. But now they have, because now there's this judgment and then, you know, this this punishment has been enacted, which is improper use of injured list placements, including the deliberate fabrication of injuries and the associated submission of documentation for the purposes of securing multiple improper injured list placements during the 2022 and 2023 seasons. That's not okay. You're faking that these guys are hurt. So you can put them on the IL so you can free up roster spots. Oh, my God. That's not good. They did not provide any examples. They did say that it involved up to a dozen players. But we don't know who. But we don't know who they are. But on the bright side, they don't mention any medical personnel, and they say there was no influence of ownership. Like, like Apple took it upon himself to do this so no one else gets caught up in this blame scandal, you know, tornado here. There was a four-month investigation. They interviewed a whole bunch of people about this. 
So they feel confident that this actually happened. He's out, can't work for a year. There you have it. Yeah, I, j- I had to look up this tweet that I saved on it by Nick Stellini, who said, breaking the rules to finish 75 and 87 and getting banned for a year because of it is objectively funny. Priceless. <laughs> yes. It is priceless. So the A's. The Nevada Teachers Union is now suing the state of Nevada. And, Go teachers! And, the gov- and Governor Lombardo over the legality of the $380 million in public money going to fund a new A's ballpark in Las Vegas. So the teachers union through a different pack had a different attempt earlier to bring this, um, you know, $380 million in public money to a public vote. They lost that. But this one is now they're, they're, they're going after a technicality. In this bill, they say this bill needed a two thirds vote, not a simple majority, because it involves public revenue. And you guys just went for a simple majority. So they're like poking holes everywhere to get this to stop. And a union official actually said, We're doing everything we can to make the road harder for them because our <laughs> ultimate goal is to fund Nevada schools. And we think SB1 and the stadium deal goes in the wrong direction. Uh, so go teachers, also go mayors. Two mayors, including the mayor of Las Vegas, are picking wow. on day's ownership. Wow. Carolyn Goodman, the mayor of Las Vegas, said on a podcast earlier this week, she wants MLB in Las Vegas. Okay, this part was like the backpedal. Initially, what she said was she thinks the A's should find a way to make things work in Oakland, find another way to stay in the Bay Area. Then she had a backpedal and said, you know, I welcome an MLB team, but I think the... the current stadium plan doesn't make sense for the A's. Like she thinks the A's yeah. need to stay there because they she wants it to to, it to work for the A's right. in Oakland. She says, I love people from Oakland. I think they deserve to have their team. Separately, sure, we'll have an MLB team. We're, a, we're awesome. a good sports town. But it's, you know, why should it be you guys? You guys already have a home. So then the Oakland mayor also dings John Fisher, owner of the A's, Who's been coming up, you know, there's this new lawsuit, all kinds of problems, right, Mm -hmm. of of getting this this stadium built. So the Oakland mayor says, there was a thought that this plan he had in the beginning was viable. (laughs) And now we're seeing that actually maybe the plan isn't viable. The question becomes, are the plans not viable or is it that the ownership's not viable? Wow. Go mayor of Oakland. I love the mayor's solidarity between them, too. Right. Like, that they can both be on the same side and both be for baseball in their cities. Yep. That's awesome. Sell the team. Yeah. And teachers getting in on it. That is so cool. All right, folks. This is my very last winter ball update for the 2023-2024 winter season. So I got stuff to say. The Serie del Caribe is over, and it was fantastic. And if you missed it, I'm guessing there's some way you can still see it on the YouTubes or something like that. So at the very end of the round robin period, Thursday, the very last game, Venezuela was playing uh, Nicaragua, and it was the second no-hitter in Serie del Caribe history, the first being in 1952. So Ángel Padrón beat Nicaragua uh, with uh, no hits, no runs, one walk, 88 pitches, 57 strikes. He had some offense to back him up. They won nine to nothing. And Nicaragua is the only team, I think, in the Serie that did not win a game. That's a a Maddox. Oh, wow. A no-hitter under 100 pitches. That's a Maddox. 
Hey, I I love it when Patty teaches vocabulary. (laughs) That's a very cool thing. So I looked into his history a little bit to see like, okay, you know, the the wonderful thing about this being in Miami, right, is giving these guys exposure that they wouldn't have afterwards because they're on, you know, U.S. soil. More press is going to get there. Who's going to pick them up? I found out that Padron was in the Red Sox minors from 2013 to 19. They never brought him up above high A, despite the fact that his ERA in that time, so that's six years, right, was 384. What the fuck? Like, I want, why can't he be pitching now? They need pitchers. I don't, and and they could have, they could have. I don't know. All right, so round robin statistics. Venezuela and Panama both rocked it with a 5-1 record, each of them, you know, only losing one game. There were three teams tied at a 3-3 record, and so the top four go into the semis. The three teams that were tied at 3-3 were Curaçao, Dominican Republic, and Puerto Rico. And Puerto Rico was eliminated, and it took me so long to figure out why, because I looked at the backup scores, and they actually had more runs. But it comes down to record, not math. Both of the other teams had beaten Puerto Rico in the round robin, Uh. and so they're the ones that go on, which I feel like is a fair way to settle these things. But if it had been the other way around, there would have been math involved, and I would have had all these equations flying out, but... That's not happening. So round robin is over, and Curacao makes it to the semis for the first time. Granted, it's their only second year in Serie de la Caribe, but <laughs> hey, why not? And they were stacked. We talked about this before. They they did, in fact, have two of each. They had two Profars and two Scopes, um, plus Andrelton Simmons, Didi Gregorius, and Roger Bernard- uh, Bernardina, fr- who was on the Nats. I was like, that name rings a bell. Huh. He was on the Nats from 08 to 13, and he was the original shark. He His nickname was Shark, so I feel like the baby shark thing, he should have had some, like, you know, I don't know, trademark value on that. Um, what was what was said, I think it was Jonathan Scope who said to the, to the press that basically Curacao is very small. We know each other very well. So clearly these guys were not playing in the Curacaoan League, but they got pulled in for the Serie del Caribe. But they played together when they were little. The the Curacao won the um, Little League World Series in 04, and Jerkson Profar and Jonathan Scope were both on that mm-hmm. team. They've also played together when they've been in the World Baseball Classic for the Netherlands, though. So this is their first time for their tiny island of Curacao, where they all know each other and have been playing ball together since they were itty-bitty, and they make it to the semifinals. But they lost the third, fourth, fourth place game to Panama. So Panama had only um, lost to Venezuela before um, losing to the Dominican Republic in the semifinals. So they were one of the, you know, had really surprisingly rocked it as one of the five and one teams. Christian Betancourt, who is a a former baseball boyfriend pick of mine, is currently with the Marlins. And so he was sort of put out there like, look, Marlins fans, keep coming back. Or, you know, look (laughs) all these people who are like filling the stadium for Serie de Caribe. You can see this guy play all year. Come back and see him. So they beat Curacao five to four to get the third place, um, you know, seed. 
So the final was Venezuela winning over the Dominican Republic three to nothing in a super exciting game Friday night. So we can say congratulations to our friend Wilson Ramos Buffalo, who is DH in that game with a hit, and your former baseball boyfriend Alcides Escobar with one of the key RBI. It was a new stadium record. Last week, we talked about the stadium record for the Puerto Rico Dominican game, and this broke that. So they I, now this is where math is kind of difficult for me because they said it was a sellout, which is, and they sold 36,677 tickets. However, I saw that Marlins capacity is 37,446. So what's a few hundred people, you know, between you and me? Um, it was the first time that the Tiburones de Guaira won the Serie de Caribe. So Venezuela had won seven times prior. This was their eighth, but the Tiburones as a team had not done this before. And that was under the guidance of Ozzy Guillen, very experienced manager. And Gilbert Gomez was the Dominican manager. And they had stuff in common and stuff that was super, super different. Both of them didn't start the season with their respective teams. They were both brought in as substitute managers for one reason or another in December. Ozzy with obviously a shit ton of experience, including winning a World Series, and Gilbert with zero. He's 30 years old. He's younger than most of his players, including Robinson Cano by over a decade. <laughs> so, so there was, and, and who knows if that's what it came down to in the finals, this, this voice of experience. So Ozzy was, it was fun to watch him. He was so animated and he talked about, he's the only manager now who's won both a Serie de Caribe and a World Series. And he talked about this being for his country, for his people. And he was so emotional about it. First inning, Yasiel Puig, who, uh, for better or for worse, go back to last week for more details, has been just the star player for the Tiburones all season and then especially in the Serie A. He got hurt in a, um, a running injury, no, fielding injury in the first inning. First inning. And I could, the, the, he spent a long time just talking to Puig, like, and it looked like, should I be taking you out? Are you hurt? Is this going to mess up our, our our game? First inning, right? And Puig's going, no, no, no. And the announcers are going, you know, they're telling him, tell me the truth, tell me the truth. So they left Puig in. And the next time he's at bat, he got a hit. It could have been a double maybe, but he barely made it to first because he couldn't fucking run. So, like, that's another, like, Puig, what the fuck? It's not, like, your game. It's for everybody. So he pulled him there, and they won the game. The, the star, though, like, the fun part to watch was their pitcher, Ricardo Pinto, 30 years old, who had already gotten MVP of the Venezuelan finals and now also got MVP of the whole Serie de Caribe. He went five and a third innings, four hits, one walk, no runs. And so, of course, I looked into his record to see, like, why isn't he just looks so cool? And he had the hair to match. He was just totally under control. He had played an MLB for 32 very unhappy innings, <laughs> 844 ERA with the Phillies and the Rays. But he, talk about like a, what do you call them, journeyman? Yes. He had been in the KVO with the Wyverns, with the Monkeys in the CPBL, Mexico City Diablos Rojos, plus, you know, the, the good looking hair. So I don't know what's in the future for Ricardo Pinto, but he looked so calm, cool and collected in that shutout final game that he won. Um, Dominican, it was all Robinson Cano show. He really did amazing. 41 years old, this man. All-star team, um, over 400 average, super, super sexy defense. I think he kind of held it together. And then there was the audience. So, like, 
these players come out to see their countries playing in this in this uh, championship. Juan Soto was there, Michael Garcia for the Dominican side. Miggy Cabrera was the funnest to watch. And when they won, he was dancing up there in the stands. Plus, they called them the Marlins Caribeños, the, the Marlins players from the area. Luis Arraez, Sandel Alcantara, Vizal Garcia, Jesus Sanchez, and Yori Perez were all in the house and wearing their, their country's garb. And so um, in, in one of the final interviews I saw, said that I don't think the Marlins fans fill the stadium this much. Not even close. It was rocking, and it made me think of our WBC experience because so they fun. had those con. The remember the like concerts in the yeah in the outside, stadium yeah. parking lot afterwards. It was totally jamming. Yes, so, dang. I have international baseball for a change. How about the Olympics? So Yay. the owners had their meeting uh, in Florida. I think in Florida this week, and one of the things they talked about was Major League Baseball players playing in the Olympics. And you may remember that baseball was not part of the Olympics for several several summer Olympics until Tokyo brought it back in 2020. At the 2020 games in Tokyo, the union, the MLBPA, and the league, MLB, agreed that no one on a current 40-man roster could play for Team USA. So you had minor league guys, you had independent league guys, and you had veterans who had retired from MLB on the team. And MLB said, we don't want to stop the season for two weeks because the Olympics are, you know, they're they're in July. They're half, they're in the middle of the season, right? Mm -hmm. You don't want to stop it for two weeks, what they had decided. There is no baseball scheduled for this summer's games in Paris. Um, Oh, actually going back to the Tokyo games, of course, um, the the Japanese league stopped for two weeks, their season to focus on all that but okay so there aren't any schedule there's baseball is not part of the summer olympics this year in paris but it is scheduled to be back in the following summer olympics which would be in 2028 in los angeles and a couple of proposals were suggested by the olympic organizing committee to the owners at the owner meeting and one is well how about this what if we condense the schedule so it's over five days instead of over two weeks Mm. what if we limit it to like six to eight countries so it's a smaller pool to play in these games what if we think about scheduling it over the all-star break where there are fewer games you know so there's more time in between Mm -hmm. with no games scheduled anyway what if we think about not having the all-star game that year and having the olympics instead dead like all of a sudden there's like a four or five different options getting thrown around to make it so current 40-man roster mlb players are able to play for a- any team really mm-hmm. in in the summer olympics in 2028 and one of the reasons why they're taking this all so seriously is in fact the world baseball classic because it was so popular yep. it got so much attention filled the seats sold the merch people loved it and if they're so into that maybe they will be into olympics too and maybe that is pretty cool and the next world baseball classic is in 2026 so one of the many ideas that was just sort of tossed out was maybe use that as a qualifier oh wow for the olympics who knows so baseball will be back in 2028 sorry you don't get it this summer in paris yeah you'll get it in 2028 and maybe you'll see major league players active players 
um, playing for your your country that you're rooting for in the 28 Olympics. But we don't know what that's going to look like yet. Pretty fun exciting, stuff. though, yeah? Totally fun stuff. Totally fun stuff. What do you have going on this week? Anything? Oh, heck, you know, so I, I've i always been on people's cases in the offseason where they're like, oh, I can't wait for baseball to be back. I can't wait for baseball because there's, you know, there was baseball happening in all sorts of places. But now with the city over, over I'm kind of like... Uh, where's baseball pitchers and catchers in like close. three days they yeah. report in like three oh days my God. They right they report on valentine's day right yeah oh they're our sweethearts You're they really okay. are they really are so i think i think you'll be okay for a couple days you've got Ugh. that whole super bowl thing tonight to hold you over that'll be you gotta yeah. edit tomorrow you'll be fine right and then there there is actually basketball and hockey that i need to pay attention to because i have you know possibility of merge we have the possibility of merge involved that's right that's yeah. right because I, I am now included in the bob shopping spree which yes. i really appreciate <laughs> i absolutely appreciate Hey, um, my friends, if you have ideas for uh, for us in general, what you want to hear us talk about, if you have ideas for who our guys on the Rangers and the Phillies should be, please let us know. As always, the complaint department is open on social media. Potty Mouth, where can people find us? You can find us either at that evil X place or at that lovely blue sky place at NCIB Podcast. Facebook and Instagram are No Crying and B-Ball. If you want to throw just a couple bucks or, you know, a dollar, your spare change a month at us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash No Crying B-Ball. We put on weekly bonus moments and other stuff, and we're very open to suggestions. So find us on Patreon. It'll be fun. We hope you enjoyed the big game, no matter who you rooted for. Even if you just rooted for the commercials, that may be what I'm doing tonight because I don't have a dog in this race. I just don't. Anyhow, you'll see us on Tuesday. You'll already know how it turns out. We don't know yet. We've already missed like 17 commercials. Yeah. What do we know? Oh, my gosh. Please get your booster shot. If you still have some game balls, set them to Meredith. Fight the man is the right thing to do. Until next week, say goodnight, Potty Mouth. Good night, Potty Mouth. Backwards you need to it. undo it and redo it so you don't get weird later, or are you um, good? Can I you handle it? I think. I mean, it's a degree of difficulty. That, right. I mean, can whiskey accommodate this degree of difficulty? Yeah. 